Welcome to the Perp Web Podcast, hosted by Joe Bosch. Okay, and welcome back. Let's go ahead and get started on uh, day two. Are the slides the way you need them, David? Oh, I thought I did. Oh, oh shit. Shoot. Sorry. Okay, perfect. All right, so for us, the, um, the pandemic started uh, in March of 2020, and that's the, uh, down here in the, in the Houston, greater Houston area. The very first patient that was seen in the greater Houston metropolitan area, uh, we saw at one of our uh, partner facilities. And um, the pandemic ran through December uh, of 2021. And actually it kind of just fell into a couple of days of 2022, but the uh, initiation, the patient uh, for us was admitted for uh, ECMO evaluation uh, uh, or referred for ECMO evaluation and initiation in December of uh, 2021. So uh, that's, that's how the uh, dates run. And this is in six Houston area hospitals. Uh, two of those hospitals had the overwhelming majority of our ECMO patients. Um, not to say that others didn't have COVID and COVID patients, um, uh, but they, because they, because they did, we were all overrun. I mean, our intensive care unit had, uh, in one of our hospitals had 28 beds and 27 of those beds, uh, were, uh, were COVID patients. Um, and, uh, of those 27 beds with, uh, with COVID patients, uh, the one bed that wasn't COVID was a heart, um, and, uh, that we were, that we did. And, um, uh, of that, six of those 27 COVID patients were on ECMO. And this is at a place that had only uh, one uh, in-house ECMO pump. So we started off by using one of our heart-lung machines and then got more ECMO pumps. And uh, we were scrambling to find them, bringing them out of retirement essentially uh, equipment that had been decommissioned because we just had no choice. Uh, it was that or, uh, or, or don't offer uh, uh, the opportunity for the patient to potentially survive. And again, these were young people. Our COVID population was very young, uh, certainly too young to be, uh, be dying prematurely from a respiratory virus. Uh, and, uh, th I think that, I think there's a lot of people and I'm of that group that still has, uh, still suffers from PTSD from that time frame. Uh, it was just so incredibly 
surreal and, uh, and, and busy and you just had no time to actually think or do anything or consider your own life. It was very, very, very uh, unnatural the way we were working and what we were dealing with and the level of death that we saw was, uh, was uh, uh, unbelievable. Anyway, uh, so two of the hospitals were like that. One of the hospitals larger um, had a more streamlined uh, transfer uh, program in place with their uh, medical center hospital and I'm going to avoid today mentioning names of any hospitals. People that want to look it up can probably figure it all out. And that's up to you if that's what you choose to do. Um, but I, I, this isn't about any hospital. This is about just what I, we experienced. We experienced as a group in this part of the country uh, in comparison to others, uh, which and I have some provocative uh, uh, data on that, and and, and I have some uh, some very uh, uh, unanswered questions actually that uh, I think I'd like to get to, and we can all maybe figure this out together. Uh, and then three of the hospitals were uh, smaller facilities uh, that historically would do much much less ECMO compared to the other three, which are larger. Here is our first ECMO patient, uh, Chris Hernandez. He was a lieutenant with the Patton Village uh, Police Department, which is up in the northern Houston area up towards Conroe, uh, Texas. Uh, he was actually admitted, I believe, on the 8th of March. He is who shut the, he was patient zero. He is Houston's patient zero. He shut the rodeo or this particular uh, infection that was identified. Uh, it wasn't him personally that shut it down, but this case resulted in the rodeo being shut down, uh, which is unprecedented in history for that. Uh, he was put on ECMO on March 12th. His ECMO was discontinued successfully March 25th. And there you see him being discharged from the uh, hospital. This article was written uh, from a, uh, a writer with the uh, Houston Chronicle. What are our raw numbers? Between March 20th, uh, March of 2020, I'm sorry, and December 30th of 2021, we had a total of 117 ECMO patients, 87 or 74.3% of those ECMOs were for COVID during that time frame. In 2020, uh, so going back uh, uh, prior to, we had a total of 49, I'm sorry, my, my, my mistake, further divided, my mistake, I'm sorry, further divided 
from March of 2020 to December of 2020, so the year 2020, we had a total of 49 ECMOs, 77.5% of them, or 38, were for COVID, and in 2021, which is an entire was an entire year as opposed to a partial year for 2020, we had 68 total ECMOs, with 48 of them, or 70% of those being COVID. Now, remarkably, it's important to note that in 2021 was really Delta and or towards the end of 2020, early 2021. And it was very, very, our survival uh, at the time was, was horrifying. Uh, but when I really looked at the numbers and the data, I was like, well, was Delta really that bad? I, it's hard for me to say. We'll see. Let's look at the numbers and we'll all, we'll, we'll all see. Between March of 2020 and December 30, 2021, we had, a set, again, 87 COVID ECMOs, 19 total survived. So 21.8% of our COVID ECMOs in our group that we cover in six different hospitals survived, went on to go home and have a normal existence. I don't mean just come off ECMO. Off ECMO, discharged to home. In 2020, so March through December of 2020, we had 38 uh, COVID ECMOs. Eight of those patients survived, or 21%. And in 2021, again, looking at Delta, 48 COVID ECMOs with 11 of those patients surviving, so 20, almost 23%. So there really wasn't a significant difference between the original strain of COVID and maybe the first, uh, uh, first uh, uh, variant, but then with what we knew was the Delta variant, I don't know that I saw, you know, when you look at the numbers that we have, it doesn't appear that it was necessarily more deadly or we have not granulated this data enough to tease out that perhaps we just weren't putting uh, patients or those patients on ECMO. I, I don't really know. Survival by facility, so we're going to have just numbers for the names of the facility, one through six. We had four in one faci facility, one, four total ECMO patients. None of them survived. That's during the entire time from March uh, 2020 to December of uh, 2021. Facility one, four ECMOs uh, for COVID, zero survivors. Uh, facility number two, we had one uh, ECMO and we had 100% survival. Facility three, six total, 0% survival. So the facility was only one. Uh, that patient was transferred, by the way, and uh, they, uh, they uh, uh, did very well, as a matter of fact but they had one COVID ECMO and it was transferred with 100% survival. So that's kind of skews the numbers a little bit. In another facility four, they had four total ECMOs with 25% survival. So one of those four survived. Facility five, we had 
40 ECMOs with a 28% survival, facility 6, 47 total ECMOs, and 20% survival. So you can see that 5 and 6 are those facilities where ECMOs seem to be uh, the direct, something we were going to do somewhat routinely. And if you could excuse me for just one second. Hey, Steve, how are you? I'm going to probably need about uh, 10 minutes. You want to grab a cup of coffee? Yeah, if you'd like to. Um, or you could stay here if you prefer, but you can get coffee and come back too. Um, in this article that was published just recently, uh, Extracorporeal Membrane Oxygenation for COVID-19, a collaborative experience from the Texas Medical Center, TMC in Houston, with two-year follow-up with our uh, primary uh, authors being Bindu, uh, Dr. Suarez, uh, uh, Dr. Aconte and Dr. Suarez, Dr. O'Neill, Raleigh, a, a whole variety of people, uh, Dr. McGilvery, a lot of people who might know, Dr. Gregoric uh, from, uh, uh, from uh, mem uh, Memorial, from the uh, uh, heart failure group, uh, Dr. Uh, Masood, uh, that, just a, a, a who's who of, uh, of, uh, of cardiac and intensive care and cardiology medicine here. Um, and uh, transplant. So in their study, March 1st, 2020 to May 30th of 2020. So March, April, May, three months. And the Texas Medical Center, for those of you who may not know this, it is the largest medical center in the world. Uh, they have their own government. government. Uh, pretty impressive uh, place. But they did, in that short time frame, three months, 35 patients that they evaluated compared to ours, and I have mine in, uh, in, in red, over that almost two years, 87. So theirs is in three months, 35 patients. And I just want to go right to the point of all of this. I don't want to look through all of this stuff. The number of days that they had patients on ECMO, their median was eight. Ours was a median of 30 between 11 and 83 days. Here's their ECMO uh, duration in days was between 13 plus or minus 11. So it could be two days, could be 26 days. Um, our median was 30. Uh, for the, and that's for their survivors. For their non-survivors, they were 24 plus or minus 13, so a little longer, um, but that would be about uh, 11 days to uh, uh, all the way up to uh, 37, 38 days. Um, our median was 27.9 days for our non-survivors, 12 days to 65 days. Very interesting to me is that their overall survival was 66% of those who went home at one year, and at two years, that only dropped down to 63%, which is absolutely incredible uh, numbers. Now, why? Why were, was our survival 
their survival 63%. And I really had to try and understand this. It really bothered me quite a bit. And one of the things that falls into this patient demographic is transplants. So what's not on here is that a significant number of these patients that were evaluated includes patients who were on ECMO, had lung transplant, and then went on to go home. That's going to make these numbers look much, much, much larger. We did not have that option. And I'll tell everyone something else too. And let me tell you, I think the Texas Medical Center is a phenomenal place. Uh, if you've never been there, even if you're not in medicine, you cannot help but be impressed. Uh, there are incredible museums there, the things that you can see and the, just the sheer size of the place. And when you walk into, whether it be Memorial or Methodist or St. Luke's, and you go into those facilities and you consider what has happened there um, over the past 70 years, 60 years, is just phenomenal. Um, and uh, very impressive, and they do incredibly good work, and they're extremely uh, 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 competent and, uh, and uh, uh, they're excellent researchers with high degree of credibility. So these numbers are accurate, but it's, we sat and we had these patients, and it was very, very, very difficult for us to get a patient transferred to the Texas Medical Center. And therein lies the problem. They can only handle, no matter how big they are, no matter how great they are, they can only handle so much. They can only do so many cases. There's no way they can do um, uh, every case. So evaluation for lung transplant required that the patient be able to participate in their recovery, which meant we had to get the patients that we had never done this for before up and walking a minimum of 100 feet for consideration to go on the transplant list. But we learned a lot from that because we found that when we were able to do that, if we could do that with a patient, a lot of times they would get better and they would not need a transplant and we could actually get them weaned from ECMO. But the bottom line here is that there's not enough organs. So we have all of these patients, a massive amount, that need to get an organ, but they can't. Whether it be a Texas Medical Center, we looked in other states, we tried getting patients anywhere that we could get them taken care of, but it was not going to happen. The entire system was so overwhelmed with patients, it was never going to happen. So you are either gonna get better, because let me tell everyone, ECMO is not without its consequences. You put patients on ECMO, 
you, you, there are a whole bunch of things that can happen. Tremendous resource utilization and there are negative consequences to being on ECMO. If you take a very healthy, normal person and put them on ECMO, it is not good for you. Now it can help you if you need a bridge, in this case, we'll say lung, but uh, uh, which is what it was, but it has other deleterious effects on coagulation and uh, stroke risk and all uh, inflammatory processes and <clears throat> and and uh, uh, renal dysfunction, it, it, intracranial hemorrhage. I can't tell you how many patients we had that were improving, walking, doing well, and the next day their neurostatus changed dramatically, took them to CT, massive intracranial bleed, and they would die. So a lot of consequences to, uh, to ECMO. But again, I think that you have to look at all of these studies with some degree of skepticism and say, okay, our numbers were far worse. Again, our survival was in the low 20s. Their survival was in the 60%, but we don't have transplant capability. They do. And I'm going to end a little early. I know I'm ending early, but tomorrow we're going to go long. So I'll make up for it in case the board is monitoring me. And uh, thank you all very much. I'll see you tomorrow.